teach you how to eat. Let me teach you how to eat. How to marinate the meat. Let me teach you how to eat. It's a culinary treat. Let me teach you how to eat. Let me teach you how to make. Welcome to the Hustle Society Radio Show. Good morning. I'm Terry Rotiro, the chef in the hat. You sure and, are. And my co-host today is Pam. Mm-hmm. It was Miss Pam chef, the last chef, time we oh, did Miss this. Pam, sorry. I was going to say Chef Pam. I'm, I'm so glad excited. to be here with you. Tom Douglas decided mic. to go golfing in Hawaii, so you guys know how much he loves golfing and uh, how much he loves Hawaii, too. So we uh, change our day of taping from Friday to Thursday morning. So now if you want to see us live on YouTube at uh, hotstoresociety.com, you need to remember it's not Friday, but it's Thursday morning, 9 to 11 we tape. And uh, you can hear us live on Carol Saturday and Sunday, 4 to 6 p.m. And or you can just download the podcast and listen to us in the shower like I do every week. Right. That's a long <laughs> shower. Just kidding. A reminder that we're in Hotel Andra, and it is beautiful to stay overnight oh, here. Yes, it's gorgeous. I mean, it's a great way to do a staycation. Uh, you know, December, downtown Seattle. Right now, it's great. It's not too crazy busy. There right. is no snow. You can come down here for the weekend, park in, stay at the Hotel Andra, which I think you get a discount if you... You do, and they've got wonderful holiday rates. Now. Yeah. And, uh, you know, eat at Lola, have the pastries at the bakery across the street, go shopping a block away. I mean, there is everything around here. So that's what they call it downtown. All right. Lots of terrific topics today. We have Alicia Vermillion from um, executive director of Seattle Met Magazine. She's going to join us and give us some background on how she keeps up with the Seattle dining scene. And I'm curious to know because I can keep up. I know. She is busy and finding all the new places. And, the, and I mean, the, the new places, the old places, the, it's, it's, it's a so, busy world out there. We're also going to learn all about oysters for Robert, uh, Robert Spalding from uh, the executive chef of Elliot's Oyster House. He's going to be with us and uh, talking about oysters. And I love oysters. I don't know about you guys, but uh, we live in the perfect place of the world to have delicious oysters around here. And this is the season as well to have oysters. So, And of course, we're going to play Rob with Love and uh, Food for Thought Tasty Trivia. But first, our test of the week. Miss Pam, what is your test of the week? Because you were sick two weeks ago with COVID. So, were I'm you making s- up for it. Were, were you sick or were you just positive? Just positive, no yeah, symptoms. So you didn't stop eating? No. <laughs> My taste of the week was a pitch-perfect risotto that I made last night. I had two cast-iron pans going, one for the rice uh, and stock, uh-huh. and in the other one, I was dry-roasting mushrooms and speck. I didn't put any... Wait, 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 wait. hold on one second. You were dry-roasting mushrooms, so you just put them on the sheet pan in the oven? In, in the cast-iron on the stovetop. Okay. No oil. And let them get really brown, and then I chopped up the speck, the cousin to prosciutto, and stirred it in, and that was just enough oil to help caramelize the mushrooms further. So this was regular mushroom, button mushroom? Cremini, yes. Yeah, cremini, and then sliced? Chopped. Chopped. Coarse Ah, chopped. Like a duxel idea? Yeah. Okay, got it. And, uh, of course... So they sweat right away? Right away. Yeah. 
uh, but toasted the rice with the onions, and it was just magnificent. And I cheated to get it a little bit richer with a scoop of ricotta at the end and the Parmesan. Dang. Mm. That sounds delish. What about you? That sounds really nice and light for dinner. I know. <laughs> what was the movie? I had, you, a, I had an apple salad. With it. <laughs> what was the three-hour movie you watched after that <laughs> to digest that? No. Uh, me, it would be a soup that uh, Kathy made again. And uh, we've been making soups a lot lately. Most importantly, I've been making stocks, chicken debone, making the stock. Like I said last week, I mentioned that as well. And um, I have three quarts of uh, stock in the freezer plus one we use. That for the feels soup. good, doesn't it? Oh, it's so nice to waiting. put stock away. I mean, literally, stocking it away is a, is a good idea. But anyway, vegetable soup, diced onion, carrots, celery, kale, uh, black beans. We had some black beans, so I put that in the soup. And uh, the the piece of resistance was I took some uh, chicken breast and I finger cut the fing- the the chicken breast, which means you know, the breast is shaped, well, you know what the breast looks like of a chicken. And then you slice it in diagonal, lengthwise, so you have those fingers. Nice. Like finger, chicken mm-hmm. finger. And I took those, uh, seasoned them with a little bit of raselanut, you know, the, a little bit of spice blend. And uh, took brown butter and then put those pieces of chicken in brown oh, butter. Oh, yeah. That was super delicious. I mean, you, it doesn't take very long to cook. So put them in brown butter. And then I took the, the chicken out of the pan Finish with capers, put all that together, and put the chicken and the caper together on the side, and then add that with uh, the soup to start, and then the chicken with a salad after that. Mm, beautiful meal. De- super delicious. Wow. That's wow. my taste of the week. Just a regular taste, but it doesn't, and believe me, it might sound French or whatever, but it's very, very easy to make. It's not complicated, and it's ingredients that you can have in your fridge at all times, so... If you don't have capers, use a little bit of red wine vinegar or lemon juice, and you'll have the same kind of context of idea, brown butter, and acids. Sounds very chefy and delicious. It's not chefy. <laughs> I was trying to stay away from that. It's so simple. No, but it's using those uh, ingredients very creatively. Yeah, very simple ingredients. No, no big frou-frou, and it's chicken and, and vinegar, basically. Yeah. yeah. Vinegar needs more attention. Yes. Because it I, really I brightens up a meal. It's an ingredient you have in your cupboard, but I bet you most of you never use it for cooking or very rarely. And it's something you can use every day. It enhances any last-minute flavor. All right, coming up next, we're going to play an early round of Rub With Love, Food for Thought Tested Trivia. I don't know why Pam keeps moving it around, but I'm gonna, we're going to do it on the early side of the show. All right, stay with us on Cairo 97.3 FM. I like playing with the pans in the kitchen, mama. You gon' let me play with the pans in the kitchen, mama. Don't get what you say about the pans in the kitchen, mama. I'ma prove that I'm the man in the kitchen, mama. Back in the kitchen at the Hot Stuff Society radio show, located in Hotel Andra, the corner of 4th and Virginia, downtown beautiful Seattle, Washington. Come on down and do some shopping and do some staying, staycation in downtown Seattle. It's a beautiful place. We recommend it. And uh, we recommend it, yes. It's good for your health and it's good for the community and the economy. 
How about that? All three of them. Love it. It's also good for your spirit, which is more important than anything else. Ham, we're at that time of the day where you changed everything. It's going to be a a weird show for me. I know. I'm excited. We're playing Food for Thought Tasty Trivia on the second part of our show today. And um, you're going to be... We have two contestants from the audience. Anne-Marie. Very brave. Anne-Marie and Janet. And Janet. Thank you so much. Both are very brave to keep... So remember, get very close to the mic. Are you guys ready for this? Oh, yeah. Uh, get close to the mic. Close enough? Oh, yeah. there we go. There, ready? that it's sounds good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I love that necklace. Oh. So, Pam, why don't you explain exactly what we're going to be doing here? Each contestant gets five questions, and there will be a loser that gets the most wrong. <laughs> and, the, and, and the right, the right and, what do they get for playing? Well, they're both going to get the Harvest Trio Rub With Love Ooh. sets for being so oh. gracious to participate with us today. Thank you. Thank oh, yeah, you. and I forgot to mention that uh, Food for Thought Tasty Trivia is brought to you by Rub With Love Spice Blend and Sauces. For all the cooks on your holiday shopping, oh, yeah, don't forget to buy that for Christmas as a gift. It's a beautiful gift. Rub With Love gift sets on uh, go get it at tomdouglas.secure.to. I can't say that. That's Just go to tomdouglas.com. Yep. You'll find everything you need to know. Or here, after the show, you can do a little shopping. Who wouldn't want to give... Krabby gift set. There's a, a, a gift set called the Krabby set. Krabby set. And I'm not what's getting in it? that for you, though, because you are not Krabby. No, I, but I, I, could, <laughs> I could become Krabby if the set is kind of cool. All right, Krabby set. I like this. You can find Rob with Love in Town and Country, West Seattle Thriftway, uh, many of different locations, Tony's and Meat Market, and in Potomac, Maryland, all the way to the all East the Coast. This, this uh, rub with love is everywhere. So Tom's family can buy it on the East Coast. So th- All right, Chef, are you ready for I am ready. So one? I'm going to start and show you guys how it's done. <clears throat> Maybe not the right way, but I'll show you how it's done anyway. Number one, what vegetable is also called courgette? Zucchini. Correct. That's a French word. <laughs> Ooh, I, got so I, w- lucky. I wanted you to look good today. She makes me look really good really right now. Good. What term is used for slow-cooking meats like duck or pork to cook the fat out of them? Uh, are you looking for confit or cooking its own fat that's confit, but uh, cook slowly? The process. Rendering. Exactly, rendering. Rendering. Um, number three. That's wit- what I should be doing right now. I know. Rendering my fat. <laughs> Instead of which, being here. <laughs> which, which dish from Spain traditionally includes saffron, rice, seafood, chicken, chorizo, and peas? Oh, I love the, one of the contestants, Janet, knows the answer, and she's very excited. Janet, you want to tell it for me? I think it would be paella. Yeah, right. Janet! Does she you get the it. point for that, or you? Uh, no, I get the oh, point. Okay. She said it for me. <laughs> Uh, I was going to say it, but... Number four, what was the name of the first book by Chef Anthony Bourdain? Uh, Kitchen Confidential. You are on a roll today, yes. sir. You know, it's... I must say, a quick note. It's a book that I start reading, and about half third into it, I just put it down going, I can't read this anymore. It's too, it's too close to... There's too many bad things in here, that, and swearing and everything, and I was like, I can't read this. This is too... I don't Dark. want to degrade my job like that. And then I went to Hawaii... And I put, took the book with me, and I started reading it again, and I loved it all the yeah. way to the end. But it, it took me a little break. Yeah, yeah. It's Kitchen Confidential, one. if you haven't read it yet, you should read it. My husband and I read it to each other. Oh. oh. Fabulous. 
beautiful. What a way to experience that yeah. story. It was. Wow. Yeah. That's very cool. And finally, yes. this is a tough one. What manufacturer introduced Pringle potato chips in 1969? Think behemoth. Kraft. Close. Nabisco. You're Nestle. Procter and Gamble. They're oh. probably all the same company These people now. Don't, do, don't do food anymore, do they? <laughs> I know. No, all right, Procter and Gamble it is. Okay, four out of five. Four out of five. Now it's going to be Janet oh. and um, Anne-Marie. You guys are ready for this? Remember, it close to the mic. Okay. All right, ready? Janet, number one. Oh. What is the most commonly used oil in Chinese cooking? Sesame. Mm, good call. No. Peanuts a little Peanuts. more widely yeah. used. Number two, what is the main ingredient that makes bread rise? Yeast. Yay! Uh, number three, what year did the first Taco Bell open? 1962, 1975, or 1995? 62. Yes. Wow. Absolutely. She's on the roll. And Marie's like, yes, I'm keep in going. trouble. Keep going, keep going. Uh, number four, the Iron Chef America TV shows were based on Iron Chef show that originated in which country? You want to? You want to cut? Wait, wait. You want to converse with together here? Well, do you know the yeah. answer? Japan. Correct. Yes. <laughs> you get that. Uh, and finally, you are a spectacular competitor, uh, but you're not off the hook. What is meant by the term al dente in Italian cooking? Well, you well, don't well, want to overcook it. Just uh, you're on to the exactly uh, the right concept. I have a hearing. <laughs> I, the coaching from the, the side. Coaching, the coaching. You're friends. And, and Marie, do you have an answer? I'd say uh, to, to the, the two. To the two. Yes. That's exactly the translation. Okay, yeah. Wow. Four out of five. Four out tie. of five. Tie with Four. Terry. All right, Pam. And Marie, bring it home. All right. I shall try. What U.S. state is Creole food most associated with? Uh, Louisiana. You got yes. it. Yes. What food was rationed after World War II ended, but not during the conflict? Peanut butter. <laughs> the oh, companion no. bread. Oh. Oh. Uh, which tea is very popular because of its health benefits? Green tea. Yes. Uh, number four. What is the hard, hottest part of the chili? Uh, that would be the veins. Exactly. Called the placenta, the thick, fleshy vein region. And five, um, from what does gelatin come? It's from, from the bones of animals. Yeah! yeah. Wow! <laughs> we have a three-way three tie! It's a good morning! Wow! Thank you so much for playing. So since Thank we have know. a three-way tie, normally we would have one more question. Do you have one more question that we could... Use as a tie, and we tap down the faster person that gets the, gets the price. What is the main ingredient in falafel? Chickpeas. Yay! <laughs> <laughs> Go ahead. Yes, Anne-Marie won. Thank you so much. Beautiful, Anne-Marie. All right. Coming up next, Seattle Met Magazine, Eat and Drink Executive Editor Alicia Vermillion will be with us and talk about... The food scene in this area. Stay with us on Carol 97.3 FM.
Back in the kitchen on Cairo 97.3 FM at the Hot Stove Society here in the Hotel Andra, beautiful part of downtown Seattle. Our next guest is Alicia Vermillion from Seattle Met Magazine. Hello, Alicia. Good morning. Nice to see you again. You too. It's been a minute. Yeah, it has been a minute. It's been a COVID minute. Yeah, yeah a couple which of Which is a couple of years. <laughs> you know, just go a race and then uh, let's move on. No, it's been, it's been a little while, but it's so nice to have you here. Thanks for um, having me. We thought about bringing you on, Pam did, uh, because we're always curious about, you guys talk about food every minute of the day and write about it every week and every month and so on and so forth. With great, I'm, I might add, yeah. investigative reporting. You see a lot of uh, you know, short quip Instagram, TikTok things, but thank God you go deeper. That you know? is very and, kind of you to say. I'm sure my boss wouldn't mind if I did more TikToks, but, <laughs> but thank you. <laughs> Spread your wings wider and just not so I'm deep. A terrible dancer. Yeah. So anyway, it's very interesting, and, and we know it must take a huge amount of time. So the first thing we wanted to do is, first of all, describe your, your work, but most importantly, how do you manage to go through all those restaurants, all those eateries that are available in just... I mean, if we just take the Puget Sound, which includes Bellevue, Kirkland, the Holy Side, the, the South Side, yeah. the North Side, and Seattle. I mean, that's thousands and, of restaurants. And she's skinny. And she has good <laughs> skin. Yeah, which is the other part. So. I'm not quite sure how that works. I have my moments and my moo-moos. No, um, that is a great question. It is a very imprecise art. I feel like I'm a walking database. Um, and if I ever got hit by a bus or raptured, you know, that I, I feel like I should, yeah, sure. all this information should, I would never get, I would stay, I, I would still be here. Um, you know, there's all this information that sort of just sits in my head and I'm always trying to add to the, like, to the database, uh, which is a really unglamorous way to talk about a thing that like we all love, right? It's weird when the thing that you love becomes the thing that you do for work. It's amazing. But then you sort of have to be really like, if your friends want to go to dinner, you're like, sorry, I would prioritize. These are places I, I need to get to. And if I'm right. going to dinner with my husband, it doesn't matter if he wants a burger. He has to get what I want to try. Um, so it is a weird way to approach something that, you know, this is about pleasure and enjoyment. You know, it's not, it's not doing your taxes. This is something, you know, that people love and that I love. But it is, it is a, a light. Like, I think about it all the time, and where do I need to go, and where haven't I been? Um, and, you know, I eat takeout in my car, especially the last few years. I mean, there are some days when I'd open my car door and just this aroma of fried chicken, you know, because we weren't going into restaurants. And if you drive to West Seattle to get some fried chicken, like, it's going to be really sad by the time it gets back to my fried house. Fried chicken is fine. Leftover sushi maybe isn't so much. <laughs> <laughs> um, so it's not as glamorous as probably people think, um, you know, but it is a lot of fun, and it means a lot to me, but it is, I mean, I think about it day and night because there's so much happening, right? So much happening, and as Terry said, in so many neighborhoods. Yes. I mean, I'm, I feel a tad sad that downtown is kind of quieted down mm -hmm. and the neighborhoods are vibrant. Yeah. And, and you're sending people out to the neighborhoods. And yeah, I, I mean, we that. had this big push for downtown restaurants in recent years, and, you know, there's, I think that's still happening, but obviously a lot of folks are looking around now and right. saying, well, people are 
working, you know, they're in their neighborhoods. I feel right. like we're entering this golden, yeah. you know, another golden era of neighborhood restaurants. Which is, which is cool. I mean, I think neighborhood need to have restaurants to stay yes. as a community center, you know, and because I think restaurants are community center, but, you know, it's, and it's definitely been very, very prominent in Seattle. So it's very cool. So you go, I mean, you're also a mother, a wife, and <laughs> you, I mean, you have all these other jobs. You're not just going to restaurants. And also, uh, many restaurants are limited to lunch or dinner, and some of them just dinner. Yes, and just a few days a week so, because it's so hard to find staff. Right. Uh, do you do like two restaurants a night sometime? I have done that. Uh, it really diminishes your enjoyment of the second restaurant. Right. I have found um, sometimes if uh, my uh, our travel editor and I are working on a project, we've been traveling around the state this year and um, oh, putting good. together kind of the most exciting restaurants in the state. And there are some nights we've done three or four. There was one day I think we did five that was spread through the afternoon. And it really is you know unfair disadvantage for restaurant number five. Um, you know, and you always try when I do the multiple restaurants, I always try, I'll just take a few bites and then I'll go in the next one. And I just can't do, you know, I can't no, do that. If I did, then that food is probably not that great. Right. Um, so I have done that many times. Yeah. And you're right. It never comes out right. right. It seems it like never a great, comes it's a great, out great like idea, the idea of like a couple bites here and a couple bites there. Heck no, you're in a good restaurant. You're like, oh, I want to eat that. Oh, I want to try that. Right, I that's try the more. magic of it, right? That's yeah. why you're there. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I've done this many times in New York, especially in New York. Many times. Multi-course dinner in more than one restaurant. <laughs> I'm like, who does that? Wow. Why? That's big time. So what is your trick? What is your trick to, to stay on top of what's going on, number one? How do you stay... A breath of what's happening in, in the entire city. Oh, man. Instagram. What did people do? How did people do this job before social media? I mean, truly, it's such a great tool. Or, you know, I'm sure all the other platforms, too, just to see what people are excited about and kind of see what other people's meals are looking like. Um, much as I have lots of issues with Yelp, I certainly look at Yelp, too. Um, you can kind of see the rooms. It's a good, uh, I guess it sort of helps me figure out w- what to prioritize. Because sometimes things, uh, actually the restaurant that we just named our restaurant of the year was kind of, um, it's called Mari Pili Tapas Bar in Capitol Hill. It was sort of this little quiet place that I, you know, it, it took me a minute to get to. And when I went, I was really astonished. And then there's some restaurants that have all this buzz and hype, you know, and you get there and you're like, okay. Mm, yeah. yeah. So you have to be careful. You know, social media is not everything by any means. Well, um, the Social media, the good thing about social media is it depends on who does it. Yes. If it's somebody who works <laughs> in the place yeah. or if it's actually a customer. Yeah. I mean, I'm also, I follow the cooks and chefs because anyone they're excited right. about, I'm excited about. That's a good, that's a good method to do. Follow the chefs. And <laughs> follow the money. But wait, no, follow the chefs. Do you have a different criteria for casual versus multi-course and more formal? Or oh, That's a great question. I guess I just, anything should be, they should be the best version of what they're trying to be. Um, you know, if they're just trying to be a noodle bar, they should be a great noodle bar. And, you know, if maybe they're a little slow and, you know, bring it your, you know, if you go get your own water, you know, that's, that's yeah. what it is. But, you know, if something is a, you know, a $200 tasting menu, I'm, you know, and also. You want I, everything that comes with it. Yeah. yeah well, no, also the price point. It, it's, it's so hard right now, too, because it is so hard for restaurants. And again, so hard for staff, so hard for supply shortages. And you go to places, and I've had some real funky service experiences mm-hmm. that, and I think in another lifetime, I would have maybe uh, held that against the restaurant. But these days, I don't think that's fair. But then you also want to prepare people, you know, if you don't mention that because you're trying to be classy and someone goes and it's kind right. of, you know, out of yeah. whack, you know. Like, if you, if you don't mention that stuff, people assume that it's all hearts and daisies and sunshine and wonderful, you know. So 
It is tricky. Like I was writing this um, piece once, and I think they brought me like a big shared salad and no utensil to share it with. And I was trying to just mention that, you know, just sort of here's a little detail. And I couldn't word it without sounding like a huge jerk. It was 2021, and it was really an era of like, you know, support oh, yeah. restaurants. It's still an era of support restaurants. You yeah, know, it's but a great restaurant. It sounded mean, and but then if you don't mention things like that, you're not really preparing people. To go yeah, and that have is what, a tricky balance. What a, rea- what a realistic 2022 well, I mean, experience. If you're going to spend hundred dollars per person for dinner, yeah, and the service is wonky, mm-hmm. let's just call it that. If the service is wonky, uh, two years ago this stuff would have never flied. Mm-hmm. People would have chewed you down like nobody's business. Yes. So you're right. There's 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 definitely a big change that has happened. There is a time that we have to give for forgiveness and for you know get your stuff back together and all. Everybody's on board with that. We yeah. understand that. However, price is still, it's even higher now than it was yes. before because yes. of, yeah, you know, everything is costing more and everything. Yeah. Totally Crazy. justified. Yeah. But, but. <laughs> there is a time and there is a ceiling. And I think this will show through, um, once people get used to that, it will show if changes don't occur and people don't up their game, yeah. it will be, become a problem for them, I think. I think you're exactly right. And it's harder for my household, you know, just inflation. Yeah. You know, for, if we're going out to a meal, it's harder for us to afford it than it was a year ago. So when those, you know, those things, you feel them more acutely when it's an even bigger, you know, ask, right. you know, or not sacrifice isn't the right word. What are words? I don't know. I'm a writer. Um, you know, when it's harder to well, get out to dinner. You're a good we're, writer. <laughs> we're used to very good service in the States, um, yeah. you know, pre, pre-COVID, I guess, still today. But I mean, we, we, we're used to a fairly good service that comes with the money we pay for dinner. Mm-hmm. You know, if, it's, if, it's, if that's changing drastically, and we know why it's changing. I'm in the, I mean, I was in the restaurant business. I'm in the restaurant business. I know what, what it takes. So I understand all the dilemma, but there is a, a time to leave the dilemma, and then there's a time to change. Yeah, I do feel like educating, just reminding people. I think if this is not, if, if you live in the restaurant industry, that, you know, staff shortage is your whole life, and if you don't, you can be very unaware of it. So right. I'm always, this is like the mantra I stick in everything I write. It's like, just remember, guys, it's really hard to no, find course, staff. And it is. I mean, this is, this is for real. This is definitely one of the hardest time that I've known. I've, you know, I had a restaurant for 35 years. It's the hardest time I've ever seen for finding employees and for, um, you know, economically, it's been extremely hard on restaurants. So do remember that and do give them a break and support your restaurants. I mean, there is only one solution to that. If you don't support them, they won't be around. If they're not around, you're going to be crying that they're not around. So yes, remember that, support your restaurant. But it is is definitely part of the scheme of quoting restaurants and, and rating them, most importantly. So when we come back, let's go over a list of all the delicious restaurants in the area. Oh a boy. list. Are you going to make me rate them? Uh oh. No, no. We're gonna. We're just gonna. We're just gonna talk about how many new restaurants you have on your mind, for example, oh, right now. Into that. For the end of the year, for people to go and check it out. It might be too late because December is already here. So. Most restaurants are already packed. Go in January when it's quiet. It's a good time to go. (laughs) We're talking to Alicia Vermillion from Seattle Met Magazine here on Cairo 97.3 FM. Stay with us. in the kitchen at the Hostel Society radio show here in downtown Seattle in the Hotel Andra. 
You've got the guests really I on know. point today. Very, very I nice like crowd. It. Thank you, you guys, for showing up today. That's fabulous. We are doing a new taping on on all taping on Thursday now, so I'm very amazed to see how many people showed up on a Thursday. It's fabulous. Maybe, maybe we should change every week and do it on a different day. <laughs> all right, our guest is Alicia Vermillion, executive director of Seattle Met Magazine, and uh, we were just talking about how hard a job must be to just try to eat in all the restaurants and try them and see and rate them on top of it <laughs> in most cases because people just can't stay away from rating. I, I wonder when that's going to go away. Yeah, there's a lot of talk. A lot of newspapers across the country have retired the star system. They I'm feel so like I'm so tired of starring and rating. It's like uh, people love it. They no, sure I know. Pe- I know people love it, but it's kind of anyway. Reductive. That's yes. another subject. That would take another segment. <laughs> I'll come back to talk about that. Yeah, yeah because I think it's a. Uh, I, I personally don't. Yeah. I don't go with rating. I want to see you and Pete Wells kind of duke oh, it man. out. <laughs> you know. <laughs> no, but yes. talk about restaurants for what they are. I think to me, I've always said. I don't need food critics. I can be my own critic, so I can't have someone that's critic me. But I want reviewers that knows more than I do about food to review me for the food I do and talk about, oh, you know, that, that pork belly wasn't sealed properly or, or uh, my wine was, was cold when it should have been. It was a Cabernet Sauvignon. It was bone cold, like out of the fridge. Or, I mean, things like that make sense to me to your experience as a diner. I think what's hard is... You know, you can have an experience one night, and it's going to be a different experience the next night. You know, if you're a a book critic or a movie critic, we're all seeing the exact same thing. And it changes night to night, minute to minute. So, you know, something that could have, you know, had been amazing a couple months ago. I had an amazing experience the next time my friend went and had a different server or the kitchen's having an off night. That's that's what's hard. These are not hard and fast situations. Which I think is why a deep review is better than a critic. You don't need to know how many stars you're going to give this restaurant. Because your experience, like you said, today might have not been. Now, the experience can be explained by just doing a g- deep review. Yeah. If you yeah. explain what's going on, hey, was a, and you sign at the end by saying, hey, it must have been an off day. Or I think of it like storytelling a little yeah, bit. You should sort exactly. of give someone what the story is of this place. And, you know, if there are a couple hiccups along the way, you know, that happens and put it in context. Right. So we didn't bring you on the show to not talk about actual restaurants because yes, let's uh, you, know, you know our listeners are probably going with a piece of paper and a pen right now and they're ready to hear. So spit it out. New restaurants in the Seattle area from Bellevue, Renton, Redmond yeah. to the North End to South End, Tacoma. Well, I was thinking this morning on my way here, what restaurants have opened? It's like when to use a really antiquated metaphor when you'd walk into Barnes & Noble and suddenly forget every single book you wanted to buy. <laughs> um, a couple places I mentioned um, earlier, our restaurant of the year is Maripili Tapas Bar on Capitol Hill where Cafe Press used to be. Oh yeah, And it's um, Galician, the chef, Grayson, her um, heritage, her grandmother emigrated from Galicia, her father from Aragon, both in Spain. And so she uh, was a pastry chef uh, for a long... Actually, first she was a bodybuilder, which is amazing. Ooh. And uh, nutrition. She studied nutrition. Then she was... Um, what a good combo. I, seriously. Amazing. So then she uh, became... A, you know, it was most, mostly working as a pastry chef. And then she just got really connected to her heritage and really dove into Spanish food. And we don't know... I mean, I think in America, we tend to think of Spanish food as, as paella, as, you know, right. we talked about earlier. Um, and there's so many different facets and regions. So it's cool to see a really, like, regional or personal take on Spanish food. Um, up in Greenwood, there there is a lot of good fried chicken in this town. There's a lot of okay fried chicken in this, pretty good fried chicken in this town. But uh, Chicken Supply in Greenwood is Filipino style 
uh, fried chicken. And it's kind of, you know, lemon and, and soy and garlic. Um, it's just really light and crispy. Um, I, it's, it stands out in a, in a world where... In a crowded field. Yeah, in a crowded field, exactly. There's all this great, I mean, so many great um, Chinese restaurants opening on the east side. I mean, all, you know, north to the south, I feel like there, you know, there are a lot of um, really legit chains in Southern California that are opening, you know, that are expanding here because there's an audience for it. Um, actually, I just went to Takai by Kashiba, um, Shiro's new spot. It's not really his spot. He kind of tapped um, someone who uh, was one of his apprentices and kind of set him up on his own stage um, How was that? in Bellevue. It was uh, fantastic. I mean, this is. Is this sushi? Yes, it is an omakase. Okay. You are, you know, and, and there's no, if you go to Shiro's restaurant in Pike Place Market, you can order a la carte. And here, you are pretty much, you are sitting down and you are getting, I mean, I want to say it's like 19. Bites. Bites, yeah. Um, it's really lovely. It's definitely very posh. You know, they've got, I think, the person next to me, the, she was doing the, I did a tea pairing, which was really great. If Ooh, you're not a drinker, a nice it was really nice. And it's really interesting teas. And they're talking about the tea to me as if it's, you know, this is this most recent harvest. This is a blend. Uh, you know, all, just speaking about it more in terms you expect to hear about, uh, for coffee or wine. And it was really cool and reminded me, I have a lot to learn about tea, you guys. Do they, do they offer both tea and alcoholic? You could do either. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, so I sort of, I want the sober course because I sure. wanted to remember this meal. <laughs> um, but you know, then the person next to me, the, um, the psalm came by and whispered, oh, this is a $5,000 bottle of grower champagne. I got an auction at Porter Taste. And I was like, wow, whoa, whoa, hey. Um, so, you was know, it you, testing like $5,000 champagne? I, she seemed to enjoy it. She didn't leave any <laughs> behind. Um, so you could, you know, you could kind of choose your own adventure there uh, in fanciness, if you will. But it was, uh, yeah, it was definitely. And Shiro came in like halfway through the meal. And I thought about like when I took my kids to Disneyland and Mickey Mouse shows up and everyone's like, <gasps> I mean, he like everyone sat up straighter. There was this ripple. You know, he went, <laughs> shook everyone's hand. Um, He's so that. gracious. Yes. Yes. Such a beautiful man. A yeah. beautiful man. Yes. Uh, so that was, uh, that's pretty exciting. I think if you l- love sushi. And, and where is it located? It's in downtown W. What about vegetarian is it, has the wave crested, or is is it just that uh, traditional restaurants are adding more vegetarian? I think traditional items. restaurants are definitely getting better at vegetarian, but there's actually a lot of vegan that is more dead. I think vegan is more of a commitment than a vegetarian, you know, For restaurant. Sure. Like it's easier to sort of go both ways if you yeah. are, a, you know, vegetarian an, is a lot easier than vegan. Yes. Yeah, yeah. But I actually just did a piece on vegan restaurants a while back, and there's um, there's a great uh, like. Donut shop called Dojoy. Those guys are cute. Yeah, yeah, Dojoy, yeah. yeah. they're festive. Yeah, they seem like someone would yeah. be on, on your radar. Yeah, a lot. Let's see. There's a, a lot of great Korean barbecue. Baekjong, B A E K J O N G A. I'm sure I'm not pronouncing it super properly. Opened in Linwood, and this is a spot that LA. I think there uh, people in LA go bonkers for, and Los Angeles is a pretty. You know, they have high standards for Korean barbecue. Um, so they just opened in Linwood, which is pretty cool. Cool. Um, there's a great, let's see, uh, Yakiniku, which is sort of the Japanese tabletop grill situation. There's a uh-huh. great spot in Northgate called Niku Niku. And it's sort of the fancier, it's sort of the fancy steakhouse version of Korean barbecue. Um, where I they come and grill it for you that. so you don't mess it up. Yeah. <laughs> which I always appreciate. No, that's really good. I love those restaurants. Those are also great for kids. My kids are very picky eaters. They actually don't like restaurants because they have to go to so many. Uh, and give them a tabletop grill. You know, give them some fire and some chopsticks and make it dangerous. And, and then they're so They're happy. into it. Yeah. Yeah. 
That's awesome. What about uh, Seattle, Washington? Seattle, the actual city of I've Seattle. Heard, I've heard of it. I've heard of it. Yeah. Um, gosh, I know where to where to even. There's actually uh, a great Argentinian bakery and pizzeria that just opened on Capitol Hill. It's the uh, Boca uh, Boca Bakery and Pizzeria by the same folks as the Boca restaurants. Oh. Um, I'd never had Argentinian pizza before. No. It what is, is it? like deep dish. Uh, very um, with sort of that ring of crispy cheese around the edge, like Chicago style or Detroit style. I mean, it got me into. Don't get me started Chicago talking about pizza. Style. So yeah, you have this great, you know, crispy cheese, but it's just sort of white cheese with with just uh, onions on top. Yeah, just, don't get me started. That's not oh. even a pizza. That's a stew on a on a dough. Oh. <laughs> anyway, that's me. <clears throat> hey, yes. So no, it is. Uh, I've never had that type of pizza before. I don't know that it's been elsewhere in Seattle. It's really astonishingly great. Wonderful pastries. I mean, the spread of pastries. You walk in and it's just there, and it's a lot of things. I think I, we should all go up there. Yes. And like, where right is this, now? Where is this located? It is uh, on Broadway, okay, in Capitol Hill, kind of the the heart of it all. Um, sure. It's just a great. It looks very Argentine. It's like a great place. You just want to while away, you know, the day with some wine and pastries. Well, thank you so much, Alicia. It's been a pleasure having you on with us yeah, thank you it's been too long we'll have you back faster we need to bring her back faster because she's got yeah, too she, much she too much great to talk radio about. Too. I'll, co- I'll come in i'll come in with a map of places exactly. next time we should we should make an interactive map of seattle and little dots everywhere alicia's yes. map <laughs> all right this was alicia vermilion from seattle met magazine and uh, if you haven't had the magazine you should buy it because Obviously, you should get your subscription every month. Oh, give month. it for Christmas. <laughs> yeah. Christmas get it for Christmas. Gotta, a great deal. gift to somebody. Or go online and go and subscribe to Seattle yes. Magazine yes, online. Please. So thank you so much for being with us. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Coming up next, we're going to talk to Chef Robert Spalding from um, Elliot Oyster House about oysters and more. Stay with us on the second hour on Carol 97.3 FM. Please, 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 Oh, the oyster pass is time serving nature's grand design Without a second thought about his fate He consumes the briny blue, purifies it through and through Until he's plump enough to grace a dinner plate oh, We are back the in the kitchen at the Hotel Andra In the Hotstone Society kitchen My name is Thierry Rotirome, the chef in the hat And my co-host today is Miss Pam Yes. Hello, Miss Pam. It's delightful to be with you. Tom has uh, forgiven us and he just basically decided to ditch us, more importantly, mm-hmm. and go play golf in Hawaii, so his presence is not here. But we're, we're, we're toughening through. We're holding on the fort for him yep. and uh, putting through. Thank All right, goodness. we have a second hour coming up and we're going to be talking Jacques Pépin, we're going to be talking shallots, one of my favorite ingredients and I love to use everywhere. And also, we're going to be talking first and foremost to um, Chef Robert Spalding from Elliot Oyster House on Alaskan Way. Um, in case you haven't been down to Alaskan Way in a few years, uh, nothing has changed except everything has changed. <laughs> yeah, it's so dramatic. <laughs> you probably different. won't recognize the streets, the the site, the building. Most of them are gone. <laughs> um, it is going to be a gorgeous area when it's all done and finished. There's plenty of parking. There's plenty of everything. And Elliot Oyster House is still cranking as big as ever. And uh, most importantly, they do one of my favorite things. Lots of oysters. <laughs> yes, many oysters. Uh, we just finished up our oyster New Year. 
which uh, benefits the Puget Sound Restoration Fund, and we shucked 14,000 oysters for that event. Oh, Four I can't hours. even... No, we. How many people were shucking? I would guesstimate about uh, 45 people. So divide 14,000 by 45. <laughs> That's a lot of oysters per person. Did you have to wow. train all the waiters to help you, or where did you find that much help for shucking? Because yeah. it's truly an art to do it beautifully. Yeah. It is. That's in the hospital. Yeah, <laughs> I didn't know how to shuck oysters when I started at Elliott's about 16 years ago, and I got an education quickly. Uh, there are only f- so many mistakes you make until you concentrate and learn how to how to do it well, and, and which knives work. And uh, we shuck in our hands usually, so we don't use a towel or a glove or anything like that. And wow, uh, we very, macho, very rarely make mistakes. Really, yeah. And like you said, you can only make so many mistakes because you only have so many hands. <laughs> yes, only so many fingers. Yeah. Uh, we, we do pride ourselves on, on good training. And uh, so our, you know, if, if we have folks that are shucking oysters and they're hurting themselves a lot, they're not going to want to do it. So we, we give them a good training right off the bat. Good, good idea. I never even thought of this. Let's start from the beginning. I've never seen an oyster. You put one in my hand and you say, shuck it. Now... There's a front, there's a back, there's a side. You know, uh, how to shuck an oyster is almost as diverse and complicated as how to eat one. And it really depends on what society um, you might be in or around and or what part of the world or country you're in. So here on the West Coast, we shuck from the hinge, uh, which is where the two shells connect. Uh Uh, On the East Coast, typically it'll be from the side or the front of the shell. And in Europe, uh, not 100%. I would defer to you on that. A lot of it is front sure, sure. <clears throat> and so what do you think the reason is for that is it because of the the shell yeah strength? i think it's i think it's the shell size the shell strength uh and the overall size of the oyster okay i think with um a really stubby oyster knife uh it would be pretty easy to get into a, a european flat and get it open and the wide blade would help out with that uh but if you're talking about a, a six-year-old east coast oyster that's maybe eight inches long, it's going to be really difficult to open that with, with a shorter knife. Right. And from the hinge. Correct. Uh, going in from the side where the adductor muscle, which is what holds the two shells together, right. uh, would be much more economical as far as time goes and energy. So what is, so I'm putting the oysters in my hand. I got the hinge facing out towards the top of my fingers. And then I just take a knife, an oyster knife, because that's the special knife. Usually an oyster knife has a guard in front of it. For rookies who have never done an oyster, you use those big guards, and you poke into the, uh, the, the closure there. Sure, yeah. You uh, grab the oyster, have the hinge face towards you, then insert the knife into the hinge itself, right where the tip of the knife might go into the oyster, uh-huh. into the hinge and get a little purchase. And then you start applying a gradual amount of pressure until you feel the knife... Just kind of give um, and go partially into the shell. At that point, you want to start moving the knife back and forth um, to lift up the on shell its, on its axis to lift up the shell and loosen the adductor muscle. And at some point, you'll get a little pop. Do you give classes at Elliott Bay? Uh, we do the oyster shuckers. If you sit at the oyster bar, we'll be glad to teach anybody how to open an oyster. Because I think that's I worth think, going right there. I know. I think I think I think that many people. I mean, I know for sure that many people don't eat oysters 
not because they don't like them, just because they're afraid of them. Like, I mean, that's pretty brave to take a knife and poke through two shells that are tightly closed. Right? I mean, yeah, the, first, it, the first time is a little bit of a... It can you know, be a little bit imposing. Uh, I remember doing it, and uh, I, was, I was kind of glad that the knife wasn't sharpened. Uh, yeah. It's got a tip on it, but it's not sharpened. But, you know, watching a YouTube video and actually seeing it done in front of you are kind of two different things. It gives right. you a little bit more confidence to see how easy it can be. Right. Yeah, so I would recommend for anybody to go down to Elliot Oyster House and sit at the bar, order yourself a nice cocktail, or even a glass of wine that goes with oysters, um, and then have them show you how to shotgun oysters. It's an, it, it would be a very interesting class to do, I think. And, and uh, how many quickly uh, before, because we're going to come back on the next segment, I want to talk about oysters and producer. But um, how easy is it to access Elliot Oyster House? You open seven days a week? Yeah, we're open seven days a week. Uh, we open at 12 o'clock, and we stay open fairly late. Uh, we do have valet, so you can, you can have somebody park your car if you're worried about parking or, or getting across the street. It is pretty easy to get across the street from the parking lots uh, on the other side of Alaskan Way, and they will be done shortly with their work, finally. Uh, yeah, and one of the beautiful view, by the way. Absolutely. Um, you know, sunsets are not too shabby down there. They're very beautiful, so I recommend it. When we come back, we're going to talk type of oysters and producers that you know so well. Stay with us. We're going to come back with Elliot Oyster House on Cairo 97.3 FM. Back in the kitchen on Cairo 97.3 FM. We're back in the Hot Stove Society kitchen. And uh, our guest is uh, Chef Spalding from Elliot Oyster House on Alaskan Way. The best house to get as many oysters as possible. And believe me, when they do their annual fundraiser, is it a fundraiser? It's a fundraiser, right? It is a fundraiser, yes. Annual fundraiser in November, early November. It's already passed for this year, but next year, don't forget to go down there. 14,000 oysters this year. 14,000 oysters. I can't even imagine what that looks like in bushel, like in bags. Like, how many bags of oysters is that? About 140. Oh, my God. Yeah. The walk-in was crammed. Yep, we have big walk-ins, and it's a good thing. Uh, Wow. It was full of oysters. Robert, let's talk about how many type of oysters, first of all, from the area that we have and then you have at Elliot. Sure. Right now, we've got anywhere between 20 and 26 oysters on the bar, and they are all from the uh, Washington area, mostly from the Salish Sea, so from uh, British Columbia down to the South Puget Sound. Even I didn't know there was 26 different kinds. Okay, let's name a few then. (laughs) Sure, sure. Species-wise, we have usually four species this time of year. We've got eastern oysters Uh grown by Taylor Shellfish in the South Puget Sound, otherwise known as Virginicas. We've got Kumamoto's, right. we've got Pacifics, and we've got our native oyster, which is native to the west coast of America, the Olympia right. oyster. So uh, that, that's four different types of oysters. Each yep. one of those, except for the Olympia, 
produces different type? Uh, depending on how oysters are grown, uh, the, the flavor differences and the, the way they look can be dramatic. Texture, flavor, smell, everything about them can be different based on the, where they're grown and how they're grown. And what they eat. Right? And what the, yep, yep. Yeah. Um, what they eat really depends on where, where they're grown. And there are so many different uh, habitats or variances in, in water and in land where oysters are grown in the Puget Sound region that there's a broad spectrum of different flavors that come up. So for most people, six oysters, which always bug me because I come from a place, I come from France, I come from close to Brittany where we have oysters. And when I first came to the state, I was like going to a restaurant and they're like, six oysters. And where I come from, two dozen is about the minimum you eat. I'm like, what? What is it with these six oysters? I mean, that's like the, my left tooth is filled up. So what do we do next? It's, you know, to me, I think oysters is like a minimum is a dozen to two dozen. Per person. Per sure. person, yeah. Yeah. When I go out, I, I mean, usually eat about two dozen, two to three dozen, just yeah. to get a, a real sense. I usually have two or three of the same oyster, and then I, I go for maybe six, four or six varieties at a time. Right. So now, if you're a first-timer, you're kind of like, don't know for sure if you're going to like oysters. They look kind of maybe creepy to you or not. You go down to Elliot, you're the, you watch somebody open them, and you're going to have your glass of Sauvignon Blanc. Or something of that nature. And what's, what would be your first oyster to try? If, well, people do ask frequently, I've never had an oyster, what should I try? I would steer them towards a Kumamoto, which is yes. a very, it's got some sweetness to it and melon flavors. Right. And they tend to be a little bit smaller. So it's not as imposing. Correct. Uh, it's not like biting an oyster steak. It's a good place to begin. Think, yeah. They're manageable yes. and kind. Yes. Yeah. No, I think, I think, and they have a nice cup, which is, to me, very important in an oyster, is to have a cup so I can have some of that brine. I love swallowing the oysters with the brine, so you have a full effect of the actual oyster in its habitat. You know, if you buy an oyster that has a cup and there is nothing in the cup, the obviously of an oyster that's not very happy right now because <laughs> it's out of the water, <laughs> right? I mean... Correct, yeah, and that's one of the things about buying oysters is uh, when selecting oysters, if you pick an oyster up, you would like it to be uh, heavy or mm -hmm. dense for, for the size. If it's not, if it seems kind of light or it sounds hollow when it's tapped on, probably you want to skip that oyster. Right, and if it's open and, and you move it like this, you, you, you tighten up and it doesn't move. Run the other direction. Run the other way. <laughs> Buy somewhere else. Yes. All right, so now producers, tell us. Some of the greatest producers of oysters in this area. Well, if anyone's listening and I forget you, I'm sorry. But um, we do have uh, relationships, and these relationships were handed down to me from the people that trained me. Multi-generational oyster farms here in the Puget Sound area, like Hamahama, Taylor Shellfish, uh, Baywater Shellfish, and many, many more uh, that have been in business since at least the 60s or 70s, if not since the 20s and, and 30s. Yeah, I used to buy a ton of hamahama. That was really delicious. I used to. Yeah, they're very good. And uh, speaking of sourcing oysters, uh, there are quite a few of uh, the, the producers here that do mail order as well. Um, yeah. I like to get them at Pike Place Market because they're on ice. I prefer oysters that are on ice as opposed to tanks, although... Oysters, which are stored in tanks, can be very good. Uh, I just like the ultimate flavor that is right from the beach. Right. With the I'm brine. with you because I think the tank is a good idea, but there is tanks and there is tanks. And uh, real oyster tank 
takes a lot. Yes. It's very Does special. Does it dilute the flavor of, of the juices that are n- naturally occurring in the oyster? Is that... Yes. So because oysters are filter feeders, they will uh, consume the water that they're in. And depending on what that water is like, it can change the flavor of the oyster and change the flavor of what that oyster tasted like when it came out of the water. Oysters are a sensory adventure. Yes, absolutely. It's exactly what it is. And what do you drink with that? Uh, Sauvignon Blanc is good. Uh, Muscadet. Yeah. Um, Muscadet. I'm from absolutely. the Muscadet country of France. That's the number one accompaniment to Muscadet. Yes. Mus- Muscadet is good because they go. it goes with both Eastern and Pacific oysters. There are some wines that are good with one and not the other. And Correct. Muscadet is complementary to both. So. Muscadet grape or Melon de Bourgogne, which is the Melon de Burgundy. It's a grape that is grown prominently at the end of the Loire Valley in France. It is uh, producing a very dry white wine, uh, usually nice amount of acids, and that's what makes the marriage with the oysters that is briny. Magical. Yeah, that's what makes it so special and so beautiful. It actually works really, really well. You do not want a oaky Chardonnay with an oyster. That is not a good match, at least for me. Is there a method of cooking them that is popular at Elliot's? We, uh, we usually try roast to get them on, to... on 500 degrees or more oh. uh, so that they cook very quickly. We take the top off, and uh, we do different ones from uh, black bean sauce to uh, scampi butter <laughs> with Ritz cracker and Parmesan cheese crust. Uh, smoked apple and bacon is really good with uh, some cherry vinegar. Something with a good acid to, to counterbalance and some sweetness yeah. so that uh, the oyster is complemented. That sounds delicious. And uh, chowder? Oyster chowder. Um, I have to say Zin Dwelly from Taylor Shellfish fame uh, and uh, Zin's restaurant in Shelton uh, made the best oyster chowder. She's I've been ever making had. it forever. Yep. Oh, really? I haven't that, had this. That's a great chowder. I've had it once. It was delicious. Yep. I, Super uh, delicious. Lifted the recipe and modified it somewhat. Uh, uh, for use at Oyster New Year a few years ago, and it's, it's very yummy. Well, Chef Robert Spalding, Elliot Oyster House, down in Elliot Bay. And uh, if you haven't been lately or you haven't been, you owe it to yourself as a Seattle Light or somebody who lives in this area to go visit and try oysters. 26 different kind of oysters is more than one can eat in one shot. You Unless try, you're huh? hanging out with Robert. <laughs> Unless you're with me <laughs> and Robert. And we can give it a shot. <laughs> Unless you hang out with us. All right. Thank you when so we, much. Thank you so much. Thank when you, When we come yeah. back, let's talk about Chef Jacques Pépin. I would love the to. The famous French man on TV. All on Cairo right. 97.3 FM. Kitchen at the Hotstone Society Radio Show here in the Hotel Andra, downtown Seattle, Fourth and Virginia. And uh, as you probably heard, we changed our taping day. So if you want to be live in the audience, it's going to be Thursday, 9 to 11 a.m., that is. I like it on Thursdays. I like it on Thursday, too. Breaks yeah. the week in half. Yeah. 
big audience today, surprisingly enough, on the first day of change. You like it when it's full of beautiful women, don't you? I love it. I know it. I hate to break the news to the <laughs> listeners, but there is not a single man in the audience. <laughs> Terry's na, na, pretty na, na, happy. Na. I feel like the rooster. <laughs> I can't do the Coco Rico, but to stay French, let's talk about a gentleman, a chef, uh, somebody who's been on the air, on the, on the TV for many, many years, and who has been a charming man to most, I'm sure, and um, he's been educating us about very classic French food from a more like a home-cooked point of view. I'm sure all of you have heard of Jacques Pépin. Charming man. If you've never met him, he's the sweetest man in the world. Very genuine, true, and he cooks, you know... I don't know if many of you have Facebook. I'm not advertising Facebook. I'm just saying I happen to have an account uh, as a chef in a hat, in case you haven't been. But more importantly, I'm not advertising my stuff. I want to say that Jack is on Facebook every day. There's always a video of him doing something. It can be how to roast a perfect chicken quickly, how to make five different kinds of potatoes. He has five different kinds of potatoes to cook different kinds of potatoes. It could be one of his favorite things, which is to make an omelet. It shows you all these different things, little clips. But it's worth watching because it makes you feel like you can get in the kitchen and cook. It, 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 his videos just came to my attention recently because a friend forwarded one, and um, I thought he was happily painting his chickens and yeah. working on his artwork because if you, if you haven't seen, he's got the most inspirational um, menu book of drawings that he's done over the years for guests at his home. And he does an individual watercolor uh, for the guest list and for the menu. He's so talented. He's got such a depth. And he paints. He it, has he actually painted, uh, lots and, of paintings. Yeah. Yes, and he's got dishware now. And he loves his chickens, so his newest oh, yeah. book is about his chickens. But his foundation releases uh, a video every day, and they are funny and accessible and educational. Right. It's really, they're spectacular. And uh, the Jacques Pépin Foundation was created by Jacques and his uh, daughter Claudine, uh, mainly to support different organizations um, throughout the culinary world in uh, every different community. For example, in Seattle, they support Fair Start. So they raise money and they give some to Fair Start here in Seattle, which is basically a, a non-profit uh, um, organization that takes people and help them get back into society via a training program through the culinary world. So Very important to the restaurant business. Extremely important to the restaurant business and to every community because those organizations are all good community organizations to help people get back on their feet for one reason or another via training them. So it's very, very, very cool. So the Jack Pepin Foundation is definitely a place to invest some of your money if you want to donate to something. It's a great cause. Um, but besides that, Jacques Pépin is a wonderful man. And yes, do try to catch his videos. You don't need to be on Facebook. You can be on many different places. Again, go to the foundation and see the videos. They have them down there. They, they'll, they'll drive you to it. And it's very charming to see all these different cooking videos. What dishes did he make famous that you admired? You said he... I think the... The, 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 the omelets? Yeah, or? I think the how to make an omelet is very... Julia used to do that, but... So does Jacques, and he shows you how to make an omelette. And an omelette in France is what you cook when you have nothing left in the house, 
and you're in a hurry. And, you know, many times for dinners in my house, my mom would make an omelette, you know, 12 eggs, break them down. And they all, you know, from the chicken that are right there on the farm, you know, you make 12 egg omelette, a big omelette, throw in some onions first, toss the onions, sweat them a little bit, throw in the omelette in there. Lots of butter, because eggs and butter go well together. It's the only reason that you have butter in there. Is it, um, I think we argued about this last year. Is it, was it Jacques that wants you to cook it super slowly? So most people try to rush through their eggs. Right, yes. But you get a different texture if you're more patient. Correct. Don't go too fast on cooking your omelet. Uh, but when you put your butter in your pan and you sweat your onions, what I do is I remove the onions and I start again with the same pan, put some fresh butter in, and I wait till the butter is a little bit blonde. I don't do white for me butter. I do blonde because I like the edge of my omelet to be a little bit kind of blondish crispy. You know, blondish you, or brown? Brown, brown? Blonde brown. Blondish. Like bl- blonde brown, yes. Like this? No. Yes, yes, like that. <laughs> is that brown? <laughs> anyway, uh, that's the way I like to do my omelet. But I wanted to touch on something else. Yeah. Jacques also makes a chicken liver mousse, and we used to make a chicken liver mousse at Luc. That was pretty famous and very it was. Um, adored by a lot of people. Must and have. It's a very simple recipe for those of you who like chicken liver mousse. I know many people go, oh, I can't eat chicken liver. It's not chicken liver just like that. You buy chicken liver, you put them in a food processor, and you blend them until they're all liquid, right? So now you have raw liquid chicken liver mousse, or chicken liver. On the side, you take the same amount of weight. So if you have one pound of chicken liver mousse, you take one pound of butter. Whoa. You, <laughs> you know, I always love when people go, oh my God, a pound of butter. How much butter do you think you're going to eat yourself? It's not for you, it's to share into a whole mousse. Okay, good point. And... You can't buy butter unless you buy a pound. So I don't know what's the big deal about a pound of butter. <laughs> anyway, a pound of butter, you melt it down um, to a medium heat, and then you let it cool off a little bit so it's room temp, and then you pour your butter over your chicken liver, just like that, salt, a little bit of pepper, and a little bit of, I like to add a little bit of reduced port. So you take some port wine, let's say a cup of port wine, and you reduce it down to a quarter cup. And I add that to my chicken liver mousse, cold, uh, room temp, or cold, put it into my, uh, in my food processor. So now you have butter, chicken liver, port, and seasoning. Now, the only thing that you can add to that is nothing. You take that, you put it in a terrine mold, or into a mold of any kind, you put a water bath around it, you cover the terrine with aluminum foil, and you take your knife in the middle and you poke in the middle and lift up gently so it forms like a tent. And the reason you do this when you cook with aluminum foil, do you know why you do that? No. Okay, the answer is the reason you make a tent when you have aluminum foil cooking is because the steam is going to go up and then fall on the side, not back into your dish. Excellent science. Just a little trick of the trade, we call it. And uh, so you take this whole water bath and a chicken liver, you put that in the oven at 325 degrees for about 30 minutes. You take it out, you lift up the foil, you take the terrine, you keep the terrine in the water for a few more minutes, and you take it out of there. And then once it cooled down, you put it in the fridge. You now have yourself a chicken liver 
mousse. I put a little port inside the, mou- inside the mousse. So what I like to do is on the side is to use a little bit more port with a couple of leaves of gelatin into it, <coughs> melted into it, or ground uh, powdered gelatin mixed to it, bring to a boil, let it cool off, and as it's liquid, pour it right over the terrine into your refrigerator, let it cool off, and now you have a beautiful jelly of port on top of your chicken liver mousse. That would be so pretty, and help protect it. Well, yeah, it protects it. The reason you put a jelly on top, or in the old days you would put fat, mm-hmm. but today we can put jelly on top. I, use, I like to use Sauternes for jelly, which is a sweet wine. Oh, that would be so delicious. Yeah, and it would be clear. So you can also put a couple leaves of tarragon in the middle oh, of that. Oh, so pretty. pretty. Or parsley if you don't have tarragon. But anyway, the bottom line is the reason I'm giving you this recipe is because it's a great idea to start now and think about gift. Buy those little glass jars, fill them up with your chicken liver mousse, cook it that way, and give those away as a gift. Your friends are going to be so excited. For the holidays, when you, walk you in give with them that a fresh appetizer. You give them a nice little chicken liver mousse. She's looking at me. <laughs> She's looking at me like you're out of your mind. I'm buying this damn thing. Okay, well you can also buy it somewhere. But it's it's a great idea to create. No, it's much better if you made it, even if it's not as great. It's a great gift. You made it. All the thoughts that goes into it. That's my idea. Well, this would just be the time to do a mousse or a pate or something because it would last beautifully until Christmas. Absolutely. And, you know, if you make a terrine of anything, you've got plenty of slices in there. You know, you make a pate, you get at least 10 to 15 slices in there. You can share that with a lot of people. Coming up next, we're going to be talking about shallots. Yay! All right. Looking forward to it on 97.3 FM. Rice. We are back in the kitchen at the Hustle Society Radio Show. We are in the kitchen and uh, we are now going to attack the subject of shallot. You know why? Shallot. Because since I started doing the show and I've learned that it's such a favorite ingredient of yours. It is. It's almost mandatory in everything that you make. Well, it's it's, um, very mandatory if I'm going to do something with sauce. Uh, I'm going to make a sauce or if I'm going to make... Um, you know, something of that nature at the end of a dish, definitely mandatory. If I'm going to make a vinaigrette or a salad or something, it's such an easy cheat cheat thing to do. You take a shallot, you dice it, and you mix it into your vinaigrette. You know, let's say you make a red wine vinaigrette, the simplest of all vinaigrette. You take red wine, it's one teaspoon of red wine and three teaspoons of... Red wine vinegar. Red wine vinegar, pardon me. And... Three tablespoons of oil. One tablespoon, three tablespoons. One for three. And that's usually a good ratio. And then salt, pepper. Now from that you can add a little Dijon mustard. That would bind it and make it more like a dressing. 
But a vinaigrette, true vinaigrette, is just liquid and separated, and you mix it at the last minute to add your ingredients to it. Now, shallots, when they're chopped and mixed into that dressing, within a few minutes, because of the vinegar, the breakdowns happen and the flavor comes out. So you now have... It is quick. Very quick. The impression that it makes on the vinaigrette. Yeah. And the vinegar is what helps through that to break it down. All breaks down arugula faster than vinegar. Believe it or not, it's true. I am surprised by that. I am very surprised too, but that's true. Could you uh, use a microplane instead to, if Absolutely. your chopping skills aren't yes. exacting? Yes. You can use a microplane. Not, it's going to be very fine, and you're going to have juice. Which but is that's your, desirable, don't you think? That's desirable, but um, there's a difference between extracting the juice from the shallot versus having the shallot render the juice. If that mm, makes any sense. Mm, There's a little bit of a and difference. processing. I mean, it's kind of having a slice of lemon versus squeezing a lemon juice. It's a little bit different of a flavor, mostly because you have texture and you have the, the shallot itself, the meat of the shallot flavor. Yeah, that is a, that is a different impression that yeah. it makes. Which is why we don't recommend, Tom will tell you that, we hate those garlic press things. You don't like them either. But your wife does, I know. My wife loves it. Back the other shallots. reason I like shallots is because they're a great tool to add to any dish. You're doing a chicken, you know, chicken leg, uh, you know, in brown butter, finished in the oven. By the way, advice. When you cook a chicken leg, you know, it usually takes so much longer, right? If you cut an incision at the kneecap, or what looks like the kneecap, if you cut an incision through that, your chicken will cook much faster, and it won't be bloody around the bone and... Many people get disgusted by the fact that there is blood in animals. I always go, well, how do you... Th-? I always laugh at that because I'm like, how do you think they survive? Tell me more about the cut. So are you going into you cut, the you bone? You cut right here. Okay, we're on radio, so tell them... Uh, so you cut at the kneecap. Yeah. Or at the knee. You know, when you are have, you trying to break the joint apart? I'm trying to break the meat and the joint apart, yes. Okay. So then each one of those pieces of meat cook on their own versus when they're attached... It's much longer to cook that area against the bone. So if you cut incision on both sides, you'll have it loose, and it will cook faster. Now, shallots, back to shallots. Peeled is usually a hard like my shallots, and then sliced thin is the other way to, to do a shallot. And I like to fry them in just a little bit of oil, um, preferably like peanut oil is a good oil, but an oil that can resist a little bit to uh, heat because you're going to be cooking with it. And um, I like to put it in the pan when the oil is about mid-heat. Throw in your shallots in there. Watch them fry gently. You don't want to go full blast because it will burn. Shallots is full of sugar, so it will, uh, it's not full of sugar. It has sugar, just like any onion. It will burn before it cooks. And the secret of good frying is to cook before you burn. You actually don't want to burn, but you want to cook. So you want to put your shallots in there, medium heat, and watch them fry, and you see they're fried. You pull them out as soon as they get dark blonde. You don't want to go any further than that because it will keep on cooking a little bit and burn. As soon as they're done to that color, you take them out, put them, spread them down on a piece of uh, paper towel or on a rack, whichever you have in front of you or you have available. Let them sit, and then keep them on top of your stove or close to your stove, and then use them as a finishing garnish or in a salad or on a piece of meat, or on a piece of fish. It is scrumptious, How delicious. long will they last? I, I'd like to they do They will last at least two, three days. At once. They'll maintain their crispiness? 
they will maintain their crispiness if they don't go down to cold and then back to hot. So if you, if you keep them on top of your stove in your kitchen, it will be more than fine. It should be, especially if you cook them well and drain them well, they're not full of fat. The, the, if they're full of fat, they will have a tendency to want to sink in. But if you drain them properly, they're perfectly fine. They dry well and they stay on top of your stove. You could also put them in a container, keep them right there in your kitchen. But for a couple of days, you can use it again. If you're, you know, let's say you're steaming a piece of fish with broccoli and everything. It's such a great contrast of flavor to have something that is fried and sweet at the same time. And by the way, your shallots need a little seasoning of salt or a little spice rub. <laughs> you know, you can, I mean, you could oh, do. Oh, nice plug. Thank you. Well, it's not. No, I'm not trying to plug Tom's spice rub. <laughs> I'm telling you that it's actually a great touch, especially if you take the uh, peri-peri, which is a, yes. has a little heat to it. You take a little bit of that peri-peri and you just put it on top of your shallots that has just been fried. It will stay there. And then when you use that on top of your steamed fish or your steamed, even just steamed vegetable, and you put that on top of that, it's a great combination. Imagine steamed broccoli and uh, shallots that have a little peri-peri on it and put that right on top of your broccoli. Just that will be a great answer. On top of that, you drop a little bit of beautiful olive oil. You're home. Whoa. You got a great dish. Do you have time for your favorite sauce with shallots? My favorite sauce with shallots is white wine, shallots, sliced, reduced down, a little bit of uh, uh, veal stock or chicken stock, reduce that down again, nugget of butter, Put that onto anything you want. Hallelujah. Anything. So sweat the shallots first. It's important. Sweating means you put them in a pan with a little fat, and you cook them gently until they're translucent and soft. Then you add the wine. You reduce the wine. When I say reduce down, I mean put the, a cup of wine, reduce down to almost like an eighth of a cup. So reduce down a lot. Cook it down. And then add your stock and do the same thing with the stock. So now you have something that has a little density to it. And then you put a big nugget of butter in there, whisk it in, That's salt and pepper. Thing. A nugget of butter needs to go in just about every recipe if you're cooking with chef If and you a can't half. have butter, use olive oil. That's my, my uh, context. All right, if you want to be part of the show, you can join the community on YouTube live at Tom Douglas and Company on Thursday morning from 9 to 11, or you can buy a ticket and join us here in the kitchen at the Hostel Society. You're listening to the Hot Stove Society show on Cairo Radio 97.3 FM. This show is produced by Pamela Inkley, also known as Miss Pamela. Sean McFadden is our technical wizard right there in the corner. And our essential editor, especially when I'm doing it, Sean DeTore. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Make me look good. Also, remember, if you miss any episode of our Hot Stove Society radio show on Cairo 97.3 FM, you can listen via podcast... Just subscribe to your favorite app. Thanks for listening and have a fabulous weekend. Yay.